we're going to do a new song for you this morning. We're introducing it. We're going to do the short version, but it so fits in with everything that we have talked about and uh, experienced this morning because it's about the faithfulness of God. The name of the song is Do It Again. Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Still in your hands, this is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. You've never failed me yet. I never will forget. You've never. So this morning, I want to continue to talk about the series that we started a while ago on God's holiness. In fact, we probably could ever 
always preach about God's holiness because it's just that significant and that important. But today I want to talk about it from the perspective of focusing on the end or the fateful end or I wasn't sure how to necessarily title it, but God's holiness focuses on our end result. And we're going to understand more about that today, I pray. You know, really being holy is the essence of a Christian's life. And we don't talk about it very much. There's not many churches, I don't think, to talk about holiness the way that the Lord really wants us to talk about holiness. I don't know that we dwell on it enough. I, I think that we think that holiness is a, is a bad thing. Holiness is a list of regulations and rules. And it's something that um, takes away our freedoms. But we're going to find today that holiness is freedom. Holiness truly brings us freedom. Scripture is clear and it's direct that to live a holy life is the only way we're going to see the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be what? Say it. And to be holy. Without what? No one will see the Lord. Can you mistake in that? to say it's an optional thing. It is a requirement. And we're going to talk, that's what we've been talking about, and we're going to continue to talk about holiness is something that is doable. It's not something that is such a lofty topic and so big and so perfect that there's no way that we can attain it. We can attain holiness. Otherwise, no one would see the Lord. And he's prepared heaven for those that would be holy. That can be you and I today. So we're to make every effort on our part to live a holy life. And to do this, we must be willing to learn what it means to be holy and to be teachable on what it means to be holy and then to be able to put into action what we're learning. We must be able to do our part because holiness does not come naturally to us. We've been speaking about that pretty pretty strongly over the past few weeks, and that our nature, our human nature, what we're born with is not holy. We are unholy by birth. And so if we're going to be holy to, re- to see Jesus, we, there must be some changes in our life. And he can and will make the changes from the inside out if we will allow him to. But we have to be in cooperation with him. I found a book. It's been in my library for quite a while, actually. Um, I should have brought it. It's um, written by Michael Brown. Go and Sin No More is the title of his book. And the subtitle of it is A Call to Holiness. Now, he wrote this book back in 1999, and I've had it in my library for a while, and I've read it before, but I'm sure the Holy Spirit brought it back to my attention to go back and reread it. And so I have been. And I'm finding there's some really, really good things in this book, and I'm going to use them over the next few weeks as uh, jumping-off points to go to. But truly, holiness is a call in our life. And Michael Brown asks some questions. And I want to just ask some of the questions that he asks here in this call to holiness in this book, Go and Sin No More. He says, Why do some people seemingly fall into the same sinful traps over and over again? Why is it that we believe the same lies long after they've been exposed? Why is it that we make a habit of doing wrong even when we desire to do right? Why? Could it be that we never step back and look at the lasting consequences of sin? Could it be that sin tastes so good even if it is only for a moment? 
that we forget how rotten it makes us feel when we digest it? Could it be that Satan has done such a good job of packaging the poison that we drink because of the bright, shiny label? Could it be that the beginning of the story is so alluring, so appealing, so sensual, so seductive that we are blinded to the horrible, tragic end? Good questions. What appears to be good in the beginning and so harmless can and will bring death and destruction. Proverbs chapter 23, beginning at verse 29, says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. This is the trap of sin. It looks so good and so enticing at the beginning, doesn't it? It looks so appealing, so good, yet its end is disappointment and destruction. Sin is empty. Sin is a bondage maker. We've been talking about bondage a little bit today and how God wants to come and free us. Even though some people think that freedom comes from living the life that they want to live, they will eventually find out that sin can't deliver on what it promises. Sin cannot deliver on what it promises. It promises joy and peace and fun and popularity and you know, you're going to have the best-looking wife and the best-looking husband and you're going to have a big house and you're going to have all those fun things. That's what it promises. But it can't deliver that. See, when you sin, you tie yourself up. Instead of the sinner being free to do his own thing, And the believer being bound up with all kinds of dead rules and regulations, life proves in the end that it's just the reverse. The person that's bound up and tied to rules and regulations is not the believer. It's the sinner. Because sin ties you up. Sin binds you up. Sin will put his ugly tentacles around you and just choke the life out of you in the end may not appear that way at the beginning, but it does at the end. For the sinner, according to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, 34, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Where's your freedom? Slaves don't have freedom. But for the believer, John eight thirty six says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. Sin is the bondage maker. Christ is the freedom maker. Oswald Chambers says this. Worldly people imagine that the saints must find it difficult to live with so many restrictions. But the bondage is with the world, not the saints. There is no such thing as freedom in the world. And the higher we go in the social life, the more bondage there is. Reminds me of a story, I'll tell you real quick, of a man that I knew in Brighton. Um, You don't know him. His name was Bill. And uh, he was a plant manager of one of the Ford plants. And I got to know him pretty well. Tyler and his son were in school together. 
So Bill and I did some things. We golfed a little bit and played a little bit. But he was a plant manager at Ford. And plant managers are pretty high in the, in the social ranking. They make a lot of money. I mean, upwards of three, four hundred, five hundred thousand a year, maybe more. Okay, lots of money. Bill and his family were in Brighton, and he told me the story of his life, basically. And he, up to this point in time, they have never lived in a in a in the same house for more than two years. His school, his kids have never been in the same school district more than one year at a time. And they bounce all around the town. And finally, his wife said, "Bill, it's enough." We're not moving from Brighton anymore. He was the plant manager at the time of the plant plant down in Sandusky, Ohio. So he was traveling from Brighton to Sandusky because his wife was just tired of moving. And I said, Bill, why do you do that? And he said, Mike, he said, I got to tell you what. They own me. I make so much money there that when they say jump, I say how high. And he said, they own me. I cannot say no to them because if I say no to them, I will not get the next advancement. I will not get the next promotion. So that was his choice. His choice was to follow the money money trail to the point where his family was, no, they were a good family. I mean, his kids were good. Everything is good. But he he just admitted it. He finally admitted it. He said they own me. And, you know, that's the problem with life. That's the problem with sin. The thing with sin and bondage is that it begins in small doses. You're not bound overnight. You're bound because what, what starts out as a feeling of freedom, because I'm making the choice I want to make, I'm rebelling against my parents, I'm rebelling against something, so I'm free to make my choice, it starts out feeling really good. Wow, I'm, I'm free. I, I can make my own choices. But once the first time thrill is over, there is a need to do it again and again and again. And the problem is, is that the, the first time thrills don't satisfy me anymore, so I've got to go a little bit deeper to get that thrill again. I think you know what I'm talking about, right? And so all of a sudden we find ourselves bound up because we need to get more deep into the sin to give us the thrill that we desire. And all of a sudden, we look backwards and we think, how did I get here? How did I get to this spot? Well, one step at a time. Michael Brown says it in his book. He says, at first, the temptation may come once a month. But when you give in, it's like feeding the fire. Soon enough, it needs to be fed again. The next time, the temptation may return in two weeks. And if you sin again, it will, it will return in a week. Then after, a day. And then you're bound. Just ask the heroin addict how it works. He's an expert on bondage. The progression of sin always starts in the little things. Seemingly innocent, safe in themselves, not a big deal. But it doesn't end there. You have to go more. You have to get more to get the thrill of it all. James chapter 1 tells us the process biblically so we know that this is not just a man's idea. This is what the Bible says too. James chapter 1, verse 16, it says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Sin is progressive. It grows and grows until it is finally in control of the sinner 
and you're in bondage. Proverbs 5.22, the evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. For this reason, God gives us so many warnings in Scripture to pay attention and to be diligent in our choices. Some things, sometimes we need a little help, though. Sometimes we need a little help doing, doing this. And so today, I want to I introduce you to a word today that I think will help us uh, in, the, in our, our fight to um, be free. I learned a word this week. It's a Hebrew word. And it means to see the big picture. The end before the beginning. That's the omniscience of God. God sees it all. God sees the end before he ever began the thought. I mean, that's just God. And I can't understand that. And I'm not asking you to understand that. So don't ask me to explain it. All I know is God says, the Bible says that God is omniscient. He sees the end from the beginning. I think if we learn the concept of what this word is, it will help us. Now, this word, it's pronounced akarit. Say it with me. Akarit. Now, you got to spit a little bit. Akarit. Ak. You got to clear your throat. That's what it said. You got to clear your throat when you say it. So say it with me the right way. Akarit. Akarit. Yeah. Isn't that ugly? But that's the word. Akarit. What does it mean? It means that which comes after. The after effects. The final consequences. The end. H.W. Wolf says that the Hebrew concept of akrit is like a man rowing a boat. He sees where he has been, but the future is toward his back or his akrit. He backs into the future. It's entirely unknown to him because it is behind him. It's an interesting concept here because we think that we're looking towards our future, but in essence, we're looking, we're looking back our, the future is to our back because all we can see is what's behind us. Like rowing a boat. I have this little, little picture example here. So the holy person is rowing their boat backwards, right? God sets the course of life for this person, the holy person. The past is all we can see. We're looking where we've been. God sees the future. He sees the big picture. We are backing into our future. Okay, that's the concept here, that we're backing into our future, because all we can see is what's behind us. But we know the promise is that our akrit is heaven. The end result of our life, according to God's plan for us, is heaven as a holy person. Right? But all we see is behind us. And, and what encourages us to keep going forward is that what we see in, the ba- in, in our past is God's faithfulness. He's never let us down. Like the song that they sang for the offering, God never lets us down. So we can look backwards and we can have hope and trust for our future because what God shows us in our past. That's why the past is so important for us. Jackie, I know I'm losing you, but hang with me, Jackie. God's faithfulness gives us the hope for the future. Even though we're backing into it, By looking backwards, we can see his faithfulness, right? So we have a promise for tomorrow. We can be content in our circumstances. 
No matter what's going on in our life today, you can be content in your circumstances because you know that God has your akarit. Your akarit is in God. So we live holy lives so that our akarit is eternal life. Yeah, this is really good, okay? Now, for the unholy person, he's in the same boat we are. We're all rowing towards our future. But in his situation, there is no set course of life. God is not directing his life. He's on his own. He's just going where the wind blows him, or if, he's, if his right arm's a little bit stronger, he's going around in circles. And we all know people that only have one oar in the water, don't we? <laughs> they kind of spin around in circles, and they think they're going places, right? But again, the past is all he can see. He can't see the, he can't see the future. He's looking backwards because he's, he's backing into his future. God sees the future. He's rowing into his future. But his future, his akarit, is hell. And he doesn't even know it. Well, he may know it. Maybe he doesn't care. I don't know. But when he looks back, all he sees is his pursuit of his own desires. Because God is not in the picture with him. So he sees the pursuit of his own desires. And he sees, in in history for him, is everything vanishes. That's why people are always paranoid. Because they're always wondering, are they going to have enough? They They never can be content in their situation because everything they've seen in the past vanishes. Somehow it slips through their fingers. And so they're afraid. What they see in the past gives them fear of losing what they have. There's no hope there. And their akarit is eternal punishment. Not a good place to be. Right? So let's go back to our holy person example. So God sets the course of our life. God sees our future. We're looking backwards but our faith and the hope and the trust that we've been developed by seeing God's faithfulness in the past gives us a hope for tomorrow. And so now we are working our holiness, works in holiness, because the Bible says a lot about making our effort. So remember, this is not working to be saved. Our works of holiness are a result of our salvation. And those works of holiness will keep us on the right course. So that's why we promote holiness. That's why the, God's word promotes holiness as freedom because it's only through his grace that he gives us that holy perspective of life based upon our then desire to choose to continue to please him. And that keeps us on the same path. It's an interesting word picture, isn't it? So I hope that I want you to take away today what Akrit is. And I want you to remember that word, akrit. It's a good one. You've got to spit afterwards. If we could see that there is a result, there is a consequence for our actions, if we could just see. And so often when we're rowing the boat, we're tempted to look over our shoulder, aren't we? We're tempted to look over and say, hey, where are we going? And every time I look over, what do I paddle harder this way and I spend my circles? You know, and so I'm going like that. So what? I need to be pulling with both arms. I need to be working hard to keep my boat going, but my good actions, my good choices are keeping me straight down the path that God has me to have to walk in. And that's what our responsibility is, and let God be God of the future. Let him take care of the future because I can trust him on that because that's his promise. That's living a holy life. That's what it means. 
For the wicked, they're blind to the future. They have no faith and trust in God to guide them because they don't even know who God is necessarily in their life. Their, their future is based on what they can do. And we know how quickly riches can fade and fall. Look at the stock market recently. Man, it's been a roller coaster. If you've got things in a long-term investments and your investments are going up and down, and if that's what you're basing your, your, your future on is your, your stock portfolio, I can see why people are getting a little nervous. But thank the Lord, my future isn't limited to my stock portfolio. Thank the Lord that my future is in heaven. And what happens here, this little short time of life right here, is really going to be insignificant in 100 years from now. In fact, in 50 years from now, I'm 60. And maybe in 30 years from now, I don't know, maybe in a day, because I have no how many day, how many beats I have left in my heart. I don't know. But as soon as that last beat's taken, I will tell you that everything I've gained in this life will be insignificant compared to what I've put ahead into heaven. My akarit is in heaven because I'm a holy person, because I'm striving for holiness in my life. And same thing for you, if that's what you're striving for. The problem here is that the devil doesn't want us to know the akarit of sin. The devil doesn't want us to know what's behind the next door. He just wants to keep us in the moment. He wants to keep us in the present. Proverbs chapter 19 Verse 20, listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. This verse and basically all of God's word is encouraging us to listen, learn, be teachable, and accept discipline so that we make the right choices. So that in the end, when everything comes into our full, full view eventually, that we'll be rewarded with eternal life accepted by God, and welcomed into a home that he's prepared for us. That's the akarit of the holy person. But Satan doesn't want us to think that way. Satan knows this well. He knows the truth. He knows what the God's word says. That's why he's never truthful with us about temptations. He never shows us the akarit of that temptation that he's giving you right now. He's always focused on the here and now. Let's just enjoy life. Come on, let's just party a little bit. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about that. That's why sin is so enticing. That's why sin is so enticing because it gives us the immediate satisfaction that we crave. Be honest with yourself. We crave immediate satisfaction, don't we? Nobody likes long-term satisfaction. Nobody likes to think I've got to lay my, I got a, a savings account. Savings accounts are boring. Seriously. You know, when, you're, when I was first starting my career 30 years ago, the last thing I wanted to talk about with the financial advisor was saving my money. No, I want it now. I, I don't want to take, you know, 15% of my salary and throw it in a bank account that I'm not going to be able to play with right now. But I got to tell you what, when I'm 75 years old, I'll be glad I did, right? And that's just in this world. Now, imagine what it's going to be like in a 1,000 years from now if you did or didn't do it. Spiritually, I'm talking about. That's the akarit. 
That's what it means to have the akarit as, our, as our, one of our guiding um, principles, that we're always thinking about what's behind me. What's behind me is what's God, is my future. It's what God sees. Do you think that Esau, Isaac's firstborn son, would have actually traded his birthright for that bowl of soup if he could have seen the moment when Isaac was given Jacob the birthright? Do you think that he would have actually gone through with it? He, yeah, he was hungry, and he wanted that bowl of soup. He came off the field, and he'd been hunting, and he's really hungry. He wanted that bowl of soup, and he was willing at that point to trade it because he didn't see just a short time down the road that Jacob was going to steal, not steal, he was given the birthright over a bowl of soup. Think about that. And guys, what are we doing? What are we doing spiritually in the same way? That's why the writer of Hebrews is stressing and warning us. Hebrews chapter 12, we read verse 14. Let's go down a little bit further. Starting at verse 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. There are some things that we will forego by willful and intentional sin. Hear me. This is serious. When I willfully, intentionally sin, thinking that I'm going to ask for forgiveness later, you're really putting yourself in a dangerous position. It's that intentional, deliberate, premeditated sin. And I think we all know what we're talking about. Thinking that I'm going to then presuppose on God later that he's going to forgive me. You know, God is sovereign. He makes the rules. His rules say don't sin. I don't have the right to say, okay, I'm going to sin, God, and then I'm going to make you forgive me later. It doesn't roll. It, it just doesn't roll that way, guys. We like to think so, but it doesn't. So that's why we have to be careful. And that's why Satan doesn't want us to see it that way. Satan is so clever. He doesn't want us to take seriously that what I'm doing right now is very important. That I, that's why I have to take this call to live a holy life to be absolutely vitally important in my life. Amen. Somebody say amen. This is true. Because do you think that the alcoholic that has lost his career, his family, and everything else that really matters to him, do you think that if he would have known that was going to be his lot in life, that he ever would have taken that first drink? Do you think that if he knew that was going to happen, then that first drink was going to lead to the second drink, would he have taken it? Or what about that man that is addicted to gambling? Same thing. It doesn't have to be alcohol. It could be any sin. Addicted to gambling, that first roll of the dice. If he knew that that was going to end his end up by him losing his home and losing his family and losing his job because he had to then go and he had to uh, steal from his employer to support his gambling habit. Do you think that if he would have known that, he ever would have gone into that casino for the first time? No. 
you know, there, I mean, this can go on and on. And I mean, just watch the news. How many people have been caught in embezzlement schemes and stealing? And how many men in high power have been, have been toppled because of sexual um, perversions and because of their uh, misconduct? What about um, people of all types busted in the drug scene? I mean, it's just, it's just prevalent. You name it, it's all out there. But every one of those people started out small. Every one of them started out with something that was simple and maybe even legal. That's the problem. Just because our government says it's legal doesn't mean it's morally right to do. Just because our government says you can smoke pot now <laughs> doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Just because, it's just because it says you can buy that lotto ticket, just because you can go into the casino and it's illegal, that doesn't mean it's right, guys. It doesn't mean that it's okay. It doesn't mean that you're not going to play with fire. And if you knew where it was going to take you, why would you want to even begin to play with it? That's, that's the akarit. That's what it means to see the akarit. See it for where it might take you. And if it doesn't take you, it might take somebody you love. Maybe you're fine with it. Maybe you can handle it. But can your grandchildren? Can your uh, child? Seeing you do what you do, maybe they can't handle it. You know what that's called? Being a stumbling block. And you know what that's called? Sin. And you know what that's called? You're both going to miss it. And not only are you going to miss it, but you're going to have the pain to know that you took down your, tra- your child. I don't know of any worse grief that a parent could have to know that you misled your children. That's why it's so important that we live holy lives. Holiness is freedom. Holiness is, is, is not having the bondage of regret. Holiness is something that just gives us the ability to walk life through life with our head held high, knowing that we have a promise of heaven and everything good. Because anything that is unholy taken to its extreme is going to end in death. Anything that's holy taken to its extreme is going to end in life. So take whatever you're doing right now and just put it out to its nth degree. What's it going to end in? If you did this, continue to continue to do that, what's it going to end in? Is it going to end in death or is it going to end in life? My advice is choose life. Choose life. Put away the stuff. And that's what it means to be holy. Michael Brown says this one more time in his book. He says, one time after disobeying the Lord in a relatively minor way, I felt grieved and said to myself, before I yield to sin the next time, I need to remember how I felt after I sinned this time. That would be the antidote. But everything in our fallen nature works against that akarit vision. It says, forget about the consequences. Just think about now. Come on, folks. This is where we need to, this is where we need to get smart. Let's not be stupid. I know I'd be in trouble for saying stupid. But let's not, let's not be ignorant, okay? Let, let's understand the significance here. I mean, these are all real stories. These are all real-life examples. What about the story that was given in Luke about the rich man and Lazarus? Remember that story? Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. Let's read this. There was a certain rich man, Jesus said, who was splendidly clothed and lived each day in mirth and luxury. 
One day, Lazarus, a diseased beggar, was laid at his door. As he lay there longing for scraps from, from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham in the place of the righteous dead. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went into hell. There in torment, he saw Lazarus in the far distance with Abraham. Father Abraham, he shouted, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here, if only to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now here he is being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us, and anyone wanting to come to you from here is stopped at its edge, and no one over there can cross to us. Then the rich man said, O Father Abraham, then please send send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, to warn them about this place of torment, lest they come here when they die. But Abraham said, The scriptures have warned them again and again. Your brothers can read them anytime they want to. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, they, w- they won't bother to read them. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will turn from their sins. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even though someone raises, rises from the dead. You want to talk about the Akarit? That's it. How often do we think about eternity? Jackie, if you'd come. How often do we think of the ones that have passed and, and what they would be telling us today? You know, I have my mom and my dad in heaven, and I have grandparents in heaven, and I have an Uncle Bob in heaven who was a pastor, and I have Don Shorsch who's a pastor, and, I've, and, 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 and lots of other people that have gone ahead of us. And I think about them often because that encourages me about my Akarit because I can see them worshiping at the feet of Jesus, and I can see them walking the streets of gold, and I can see them celebrating in heaven, and I can also hear the prayers that they have for me. I believe that they are praying for me. I believe they are in the throne room of God because they are a child of God. They are a joint heir with Christ. I believe that they are praying for us. They are helping us in our fight. And I'm not praying to my dad, and I'm not talking to him. I'm talking to Jesus because that's what the Bible says. But I believe they can pray for me, and 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 that gives me encouragement. That's my akarit. That's my fate. And I can assure you that Whatever person has passed, whether they are celebrating on the streets of heaven or if they are bound up in some pit in hell going through untold suffering, I will tell you that both of those people are saying one thing. If they could come back to you and say one thing, they would say, give everything you have to Jesus. If they're in hell, they're saying the same thing. I made a mistake. Don't make my mistake. Give it to Jesus. And if they're in heaven, they're saying, come on up. It's great. The water's warm. Come on up. Give it to Jesus. So this morning, where are we this morning? In our Akarit. Skip Moen, the writer of the Hebrew word study guide that I learned this word from, he says, no matter how successful they, the wicked, have been, the future remains hidden from them. But the righteous do know. That's the principal difference between the wicked and the righteous. The righteous know what is going to happen. God's purposes will prevail. How those purposes will prevail is inconsequential. That they will prevail is guaranteed. And it is a guarantee that the wicked just desperately need but cannot find him. The righteous cannot the righteous can be content with the circumstances of life even if those circumstances do not result in prosperity and success 
because they know that God's purposes cannot be thwarted. Their obedience guarantees a place in the kingdom of light. That's our Akrit. Close your eyes with me. Father, thank you for this word of encouragement, word of warning, word of um, giving us good instruction. Lord, that we would see that our Akrit is solid and is firm in your hand because we are a holy people. We are a people that is chasing after you and that is working hard to make sure that our calling is sure, putting, our, keeping, putting and keeping our trust in you and you alone. Lord, that we are not working for our salvation, but we are so glad to work because of it. It gives me great joy to work hard in the kingdom because you're looking down, giving me a smile, and you're giving me a wink, and you're saying, keep on, Mike, good job. Good job. Put your name in there. Good job, person. Good job for loving me, for being obedient to me. The Bible says if you love me, you'll, you'll obey me. So for this morning, if, if you're struggling in any of these areas, if you're struggling with the temptation of immediate satisfaction, I just encourage you this morning to let the Akrit to, to, to solidify in your life that whatever it is that you're chasing in a temporary fashion isn't worth it. Give it to God. Put it away. Let him have it. And it may be difficult the first few times, but I promise you that if, the more you do it, the easier it'll, it'll happen. The more you continue to give it to Jesus, the easier it'll be the third, fourth, fifth time to give it to Jesus. He'll change your heart. He'll change your desires. So this morning, um, as, we, as we close by singing the song, I just want to open the altars again and, and just say, listen, if you want help, we're here to pray with you this morning. We're here to support you. We just want you to know that you're not alone, that we want to encourage you to pursue the akarit of your life with your full passion. Father, just examine our hearts now. Encourage us. Convict us. Do what you need to do, Father, to make my heart pure and holy before you. And I willingly give it to you today. I surrender it. In Jesus' name. Jesus, what a beautiful name. Son.
Father, we thank you for this promise. We thank you, Lord, that you are promising to lift us up. And Lord, we just surrender our hearts and lives to you today. We receive your freedom. We receive your grace, that enabling power to keep us moving in that path of holiness that keeps us on the right track, that keeps us in the right path, that we are knowing that our Akarit is secure in you. I thank you for that. Now encourage us as we go today. Lord, fill us up with your power and your authority. We welcome you into our life. And we ask this all, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.